It is, it is a real pleasure to be with you this morning and a privilege, and I really do thank Greg and the team for the opportunity. Um, so last week, what we, what we saw, for those of you who are here, is that I spoke against Gnostic Christianity, and we're going to get into some more New Testament realities now. But just to summarize, for, just in case you've forgotten or, you know, you were not here, you didn't get to hear it. We said that Gnostic Christianity puts us into a loop because we are always learning and experiencing but never getting the victory in Christ. It replaces a living Jesus with an intellectual relationship with the Bible and a channeling of cosmic power. That's what we end up doing. If we embrace the sufficiency of Christ and if we teach others the sufficiency of Christ, we and they will continually have times of refreshing. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So this is a word from Acts chapter 2. And um, it's, it's really the whole chapter. So I think for time we can't read the whole chapter. But I will summarize it and then we will take some things out of there for our lives. And then the Spirit wants to just minister and He wants to move amongst us. He wants to touch some of your lives. And even now you can feel the presence of God just in a, in a weighty way, just hovering here, just waiting in anticipation for those who are going to reach out to Him. So, let's summarize the facts and logic in Acts chapter 2. We see the crowd comes together because there was a strange sound. And basically, that was 120 disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, now speaking in different languages and tongues which they as people from Jerusalem and from Galilee would not have known and at that time we had a feast in Jerusalem so there were a number of visitors from all over um, people who had converted to Judaism and they spoke various different languages so what they saw and what they heard was people not of their nation speaking their language and that was the disturbance that they heard. <clears throat> they then start to say, you know, oh, there's various different explanations for this. They're drunk. You know, some saying, oh, it's a sign of God. Peter stands up and he explains what is taking place. He says, what you see and what you hear is the Spirit of God. Now, to a Jewish person, that would have been a significant challenge because remember you really only saw the Spirit of God at some very particular times and on some very particular men and women usually the priest the prophet or the king and then at some significant times like the dedication of the temple where the presence of God came and filled it after Solomon had slaughtered all those animals so that's the first thing it comes as an affront to their culture it comes as something like wow okay can that be true can it be true that God is now moving in these people and if he is moving in these people these 120 what's so special about them that's the the the, the Jewish mind of the day would have had questions like that because a king prophet and a priest they look like none of those things so 
Peter then refers them back to the prophet Joel and he says, All the people will have the Spirit of God. All will prophesy. So he is now hitting on the fact that they understand only a few would have the Spirit before, but now everyone will have the Spirit. He then also reads out that there, he continues on the verse and says, There will be signs and wonders in the heaven above, and there will be billows of smoke and fire, and the moon will be darkened and all of that. So the prophet and Peter put the coming of the Holy Spirit to live in an individual believer because of the work of Jesus Christ, not because of their work, on the same level as the end of the world. That is how significant and powerful the Holy Spirit in you is. The same, the same as the sun being darkened. If our sun is darkened, if it loses its energy and power, right? Game over. That's it. The end. So in the same breath, God is saying, the Spirit in you is that important. As the physical sun shining. That is how important the Spirit in you is. Peter then goes on to preach the gospel. And for, for anyone who wants an acronym on the gospel, um, a summary of what Peter says here is, Mad rash. So think of it. The world has a mad rash called sin. Okay? And it's terrible. And it's destroying them. But you can take each of the things. So M for miracles, A for attested to, and D for death. So we'll deal with that first. Jesus Christ was attested to by miracles. And yet he was murdered by ungodly people. He was put to death. So he was attested to by signs, wonders, and miracles, and he was shown to be no ordinary man, and yet he was crucified. He was killed as though he was a criminal, even though all his life, what he did was good for others, setting them free from the oppression of the devil, healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding the 5,000. Only good things, and yet he was murdered. That's the first part, mad. It is absolutely crazy that they crucified the king. And then rash, because he rose, ascended, sat down, and sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the gospel. So now, Jesus Christ could not be held by death. That's what Peter said. He says, death couldn't hold him. And not only did he rise from the dead, but he ascended into heaven. The working of God's mighty great power raised him up into the heavens, taking a physical body into heaven, taking a physical body and seating it in the spiritual realm in heaven with the Father. That's some power right there. Then he sat down, but he sat down as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In our testimony and proclamation of the gospel, Jesus is not only Savior, but He is Lord and King. And it's really important that He sits down as King, because when He sits down as King, He gets the authority to do this thing, to send the Holy Spirit of God 
to those who believe in Him. And that's the gospel. That's the full gospel. And so Peter shares that. He quotes David about David being dead. And I think we all agree David is dead. And he was saying to the Jews of the day, David is dead. And yet David wrote this. Now they all respected David. They respected David as a king and a prophet. And so he was prophesying and saying that death would not hold him. And so what Peter does is he says David was clearly not talking about himself because David is dead. David was talking about another that would rise from the dead. And that is Jesus. And so we have him then reaffirming the resurrection from the dead in Jesus Christ. We then see that they are cut to the heart. And the reason they are cut to the heart is because they missed the Messiah. They missed the King of glory. He was there in their midst doing what is impossible for a man to do. And yet they had looked upon him and said, you're not a man, you're a madman. You're a heretic. You're going to bring the Roman Empire upon us because you're causing a disorder. Let's kill him. Let's get him out the way. Let's stop this before it becomes a problem. Well, little did they know that according to God's plan and purpose, they were helping the Father to reconcile us to him by crucifying him. They did the work of God without knowing it. He's that big. So, we then have them being cut to the heart because they realize, wow, we were opposing God. I was trying so hard to serve God that I missed the Messiah. That's true for some of us today. We're trying so hard in our Christianity that we forget that this is about the King, the King Jesus. And so they were cut to the heart, which means, and I'm sure we've experienced this, you feel this internal pain where you're like, ah, I have made such a mistake. It's not just your head, it's not just your stomach, but your actual heart. You feel it in your chest like, "Mm, that was an error. And then they said this, and it seems, it seems trivial to us today. What must we do to be saved? What must we do? The reason that was so significant is because for them, they had opposed God. They had rebelled against the Christ, the very promised one who was going to set free and liberate Jerusalem and the kingdom and bring them into an era of peace. They had opposed him and killed him. So now, what do we do? They didn't see it as a spiritual thing. They saw it more as a physical thing. And that's when Peter comes in and says, actually, Jesus is alive, and actually, you can repent. You can change your mind and your heart, and you can turn to the Messiah, 
And even though you used to oppose him, you can now choose to be for him and his kingdom. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Times of refreshing will also come upon you. The thing that is special in the 120 that only the king, the prophet, and the priest had is the very thing that you will receive. That is magnificent. Because it doesn't matter how far we have opposed God. It doesn't matter how much we have decided that Christ is just a religion or just a fable or just a story. There is always the opportunity to repent and change our minds and see that He is the living Christ, the one who died for us, the one who brings in the kingdom of God to our lives and that we can receive this promised Holy Spirit. That is beautiful. You can never go so far from God that He won't give you His Spirit if you simply trust in the work of Jesus. And that's what we've been speaking about over the last two weeks, the sufficiency of the cross. Now, if we receive the Spirit of God, if we receive the same Spirit that was upon the prophets, if we receive the same Spirit that was upon the kings, if we receive the same Spirit that was upon the priests, what's impossible for us? Look at what they did. Look at what Elijah did. Call down fire in the face of a whole nation of unbelief to demonstrate and show that the Lord, God, is God. Look at what David did. He established a kingdom and expanded its borders in the name of God because the Spirit of God was upon him from a young age. That's what we see. Look at Samuel. Look at Samson. Look at Gideon. Look at Deborah. That's why these stories are there. They're there to tell us when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you are a new creation. You are not an ordinary person anymore. You are far greater than that. You are worth so much to your Father that He gives you everything you need to have a victorious life in Christ Jesus. We said it a different way yesterday in the business time. We said that Christ is in us. And if Christ is in us in business, then we're operating at the level of thinking that God brings to business. Imagine that. God's thoughts in business. Surely He's got good ideas. Surely He understands the customer and their needs to produce good products. That's living inside of you. So I'm not just talking about an indwelling of the Spirit so that we can lay hands on each other and see us recover. I'm not just talking about an indwelling of the Spirit so that you can speak and a demon will leave someone who's been tormenting them. It's not just that. It's also all the other manifestations of the Spirit which include wisdom and understanding and knowledge and prophecy. 
It's, it's all of these things that are ours, that we can operate in. And so we see that this power of God from within us manifests into society in prosperity, health, and wisdom, into our communities as we interact with people. And if you just think of it practically, when, if you think of a community of about 5,000 people, when a certain number of people in that community begin to behave in a certain way, that community's changed, right? That's a natural thing. Like, it's just, it's just a numbers game. So in your community, if you want it changed for Jesus, just get a certain number of people saved in that community, and the community will change for Jesus. There's nothing complex, mystical, or esoterical, abstract out there. It's very simple. The more people who are saved and the more people we disciple, the more the nations are changed. That's it. That's it. It requires action from us. And that's what I want to speak on this morning is action. And that's really what I have been speaking about. You see, when you have God in you, because of the work of Christ, not because of you, which is beautiful, all you had to do was say, yes, Jesus, I recognize your work on the cross. I recognize what you've done. Once we believe that, His work then establishes the Holy Spirit in us. So, so we didn't have to work for the power of God. Contrary to a lot of teaching that took place in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s where you had to somehow get or earn an anointing. I want to tell you, the anointed one lives in you. That's what Scripture says. You do not have to try and get an anointing. You do not have to pray for a double anointing. You do not have to fast for it. You do not have to seek God for it. You just have to acknowledge you actually are anointed. You're already anointed. You already have the power, which means the only thing left for us to do is to act. To act, to do the works of Jesus, to love, to care, to nourish, to uplift, to feed, to heal, to deliver those around us. That's what we do. Now in Christianity, we've had a false preaching of grace. And a false preaching of grace has come with a thing which says, there's a Sabbath day rest for whoever has faith. And it says that that means you don't do anything as a Christian. What that actually means is that you don't do anything for your righteousness. Very clearly in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go make disciples. That's what we do. If you want to know what a Christian does, a Christian makes disciples. That's it. That's what we do. It's not a heavy thing. He's given us all the equipment. He's given us the power. The message is actually simple, and it does a world of good for a believer when they start to disciple others because they begin to realize, oh, wait, hold on. Like, I actually can't find Bible for most of what I believe. Because <laughs> we have these narratives running in our heads the whole time. But the moment you start to teach someone else, and you're like, okay, the Bible's the full and final authority of God, so I want to teach you about the anointing. And you actually go study that thing, and you're like, huh, the anointing was on the priest and the anointing was on the king into something that was going to take place. Well, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high and then you will be my witnesses. For all of us who have received the Holy Spirit, you have been anointed 
to be a witness. That's it. You're a witness. What do you witness? Of Christianity? No. Of the truth of the cross. Because there is a risen king. Because the king has risen, you have the Holy Spirit. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he couldn't have sent the Holy Spirit. That's the logic. But because he has risen from the dead, he has sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And we're very close to moving in the power of God. So we're almost there. I can feel the Spirit of God pushing. Okay, Holy Ghost. So this means we take action. We're no longer working a system to get something. That's what we rest from. We rest from working to get anointings. We rest from working to get power. You do not have to try to get power. Seriously, He's given you power. It was a gift. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to get more power. It's His, it's his to give and He will give it. What you can do, though, is step out and take action. That's what we do. So the Sabbath day's rest means before our Father, we do not have to work for our righteousness. We stand fully righteous, holy, and sanctified, according to Ephesians. That's our position before God. That's why we're at rest. So now we have God Almighty on our side. And as we go about life, God is for us, not against us. And if God is for us, who or what could ever be against us? But we need to take action. The disciples did not stay in the upper room. The moment they had the Holy Spirit, they broke out of the upper room. You see that? They went to the streets. They went out there. And so for us, as we live our lives, we will see opportunity where there are hurting people, physically, emotionally, where there are people who are oppressed, where there are people in bad situations. Well, you have the power to rescue them. So just rescue them. In the name of Jesus, rescue them. You don't have to fight with people. God never called you to argue the gospel. You can't find it. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. The servant of the Lord must not argue. If I'm sharing the gospel with someone and they start to argue with me, I just stop dead. Like, I'm not going to debate this. I'm called to proclaim the gospel. That there is Jesus, who was no ordinary man, who was attested to by miracles, and he died. But he didn't only die, he rose from the dead because he conquered sin. And when he rose from the dead, the Father exalted him to the highest position where he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in those who believe him. So if you want refreshing in your life, believe on Jesus and he will fight for you. If you want victory in your life, believe on Jesus and you will have the Holy Spirit inside you and you can start to live with God's wisdom and God's understanding and God's power in your life. That's what I tell people. I stand up in the middle of Kingston, Town Square, and we just proclaim it. We tell people the gospel because he said proclaim it and then we witness of it.